Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello everyone, welcome uh, to part two of the Stumpcast. Chris uh, Boardman and I are wandering along the canal here. We've, we actually went one direction uh, from King's Cross, met a load of noise, went the other direction and had a little bit less noise, but still some. But that's part of London. We're just right now walking past, um, what do you call this, a water lock, is that right? Yes. A water lock, well, isn't it? Yeah, it's a they lock and a Yeah, because they lock, they've got on either side, they're controlling the heights of the water. Um, so yeah, it's a very picturesque, perfect for uh, Emma taking her photographs. She'll have plenty of beautiful photos, uh, I'm certain. Well, I teased at the end of part one that um, you were nicknamed the presser, but you then said um, other people nicknamed you that. So where well, we has never, it come from? We never What's got the, to the bottom who of who it was. It? It's who just was somebody it? at one point, like 25 years ago, said they call him. And nobody ever stopped to go, hang on, hang on, who did? It's going to take so some tracking stuck. back thing 25 years ago well. to find out who was it. So, you know, my understanding is that you know, I think people were fascinated over the years, you know, and you're obviously an ultra, I'll assume you're a very competitive guy, otherwise why would you put yourself through some of the most difficult, challenging races, including Tour de France, Olympic Games, uh, championship racing, sprint racing, and so on. You compete in all these races, but you're also really interested in, partly in the, in the science, but also in kind of development, both of yourself, but also the bikes, which makes sense, what more than well, bikes like making started. Things. So yeah, I just wonder, you know, do you, how much of your success was down to obvious talent and hard work? How much of it also was caring about the details and thinking about what margins can be gained by doing this, that or the other? Oh yeah, the aggregation of marginal gains, well maybe, maybe we'll get to that. It started out, out as uh, just do lots of stuff and then we massaged it later and made it sound better, the aggregation of marginal gains, <laughs> the concept of taking lots and lots of things and improving okay. all of them by a tiny amount. Okay. It sounds very fancy, I must say. So it did, it, yeah, it, it was quite a nice one. Yeah, so, what, um, so, so yeah, take me back well, to I, um, start with all that then, I guess. I mean, I, I'm academically barren, so I left school early and um, didn't have a great time at school and sport gave me uh, self-esteem, self-confidence, it was first thing I discovered that I could do that other people wanted to and couldn't and uh, and then I bumped into a guy called Peter Keane who was a lecturer at Chichester University at the time and he was fascinated by how things worked and he was also uh, a cyclist and he became my coach for 15 years and it was a partnership where he taught me how to make sense of failure he almost taught me how to enjoy failure when we went, right, here's the evidence that says train like this and you'll go faster. And you go, wow, that makes sense, go and do it. And then we measured everything. And then inevitably we'd have a massive gap and go, wow, what caused that gap? What do we need to do differently? And we'd go off with the next thing. And it was, it was an obsession with being better rather than being the best. Um, and it was, that principle stays with me now. But I fundamentally like to understand how things work and try to change it. And, and like making things, be it a bicycle, be it an article, be it a network for a city, region or a country. It's all, what's the problem? What would fix that problem? Let's do this. Did it work? Do we need to tweak it? 
Sounds like you're kind of obsessed with efficiency. Clearly, you know, you're focused on ways. How do we, what are the barriers? What are the things that are limiting us? And like, how do we make that better? Do you find it interesting looking at your whole life and seeing that there is a very common thread of that? Like what you're doing now is, okay, it's slightly different, you know, performance before might have meant like, how do we compete in the best possible way for the Olympics? Performance or Tour de France or whatever, but performance now is kind of like, how do I make these road networks better or, you know, cycle networks? So interesting that perhaps you were focused on efficiency and performance in terms of you know, winning races before, but now, of course, you know, you're thinking about making changes for people to you know, access sport and movement uh, safely. What were some of the kind of big lessons, I guess, when you think back in, in your life, perhaps from races, say the Tour de France or uh, you know, the Olympics? What were the big lessons that you learned about failure from that time? You mentioned that was an important part, but well, are there any big times you thought, you know, I really did? Oh, it kind of went badly there or, you know, whatever. Uh, interesting to listen to your terminology there. And, and that is exactly how uh, my early parts of my adult life could be described and how I ended up with the nickname the professor and why it stuck. Because always talking numbers and about how to get, how to get more efficient. But now I think of it more in terms of um, exploring, understanding, uh, and, and that's a fascination with journey rather than destination. And, uh, so I see it slightly differently now. So when you say what lesson, at the time we learned all the physiology, the technique, the, uh, the tactics, all of those things were codified uh, and then we addressed each one in turn and made it better. And it gets you so far. But the biggest lessons I've learned, I think, are people um, and how do you connect with other people and it, rather than get irritated because somebody can't see the logic of a thing, go, wow, why can't they see that? This makes complete sense. And, and often, I think the lesson that I learned that how important, scarily important language is, and how you, if I said, do you want to ride a bike to somebody uh, around here, they might go, no, I don't like cycling. Go, All right, well, would you like your kids to have transport independence? Yeah, I quite like that. Would you like not to have to drive them to school? Yes, I'd like that. Would you like to save money? Yes, I would. Okay. That's so so interesting. What, would you, what would you need for your kids to be, have independent? Well, they're going to have to be safe. Okay. What would safety look like to you? And then they'll list it all out and then you go, do you mean this? <laughs> and then actually they do like cycling, but they just didn't know because they don't think of it like that. And so how we talk about it is, um, you know, if you want to make health easy for a nation, go, oh, I like the sound of that. What would that be? You know, transport, more choice. Oh, I like the sound of that, you know. So uh, language is, is the big lesson that I've learned, I think. I guess, um, I guess for any choices that you make, you know, thinking within this part about how can you, you know, some of the lessons that you've learned applying that, I guess, for, for people and that's performance, mental health, whatever that might be. I guess um, in our psyche, we need a feeling that we have choice, don't we? I think whenever we feel that we don't have a choice, the natural instinct is to kind of rebel against that. It comes and go back against to instincts, it. fear, greed. Yeah. Feel of need to be in control. Yeah. And, if you ignore those core fundamentals, yeah. then you're going to lose. Look at, um, look at the pandemic. I mean, we all lost our choice, basically, pretty much. There were things we could choose, yeah. but we lost a huge amount of choice, and it didn't feel good, did it? And I think people, no. people want to have a sense of, of freedom, so understanding the why of doing something. And that's why I think in terms of like mental health and education at school, so much of my work is actually trying to get everyone from right at the top of government all the way down to grassroots level of teaching to kind of understand why it matters. Because if you don't understand why it matters, you're not going to do it. And then you're not going to make a choice actively, I don't think, to, to engage in it, I guess. 
The, the, the pandemic was, um, I mean, you've got to be very careful how you term it. And I lost a father-in-law and obviously your brother. Um, so it was a horrific experience. But we, we also need to capture the good stuff that happened yeah. in there. I mean, we, not to just pull it back to, to my own topic, but we essentially had a global consultation on how we use streets. And everybody went out for their mental health largely to get some space to do something in the day that felt constructive, that gave me a sense of well-being, and exercised, be it getting to work as a key worker and you're being told not to get on a bus or a train and you don't drive, which is a third of the population. And lots of people tried different. And the second thing is how adaptable we are when we have to be. We are incredibly adaptable. So there's a lot that happened, though, um, and in some ways I'm sad that we we're on the edge of squandering those lessons as well. Do you think we are? Because I think, um, it, yeah. I find it very interesting that we, you know, I, I was walking around Richmond Park whenever I had a moment, I guess, um, around shifts and all that kind of stuff. I, I, it was my safe space. Um, and I noticed how many people were out in that space. But now when I go to Richmond, it's quite obvious there's a lot less people there. Okay, of course, yeah. people had to, or they weren't able to do anything else. So I kind of look at that. So are we, are we losing those lessons or do you think people are sticking to things like walking to work or the benefits of you know, exercise I don't and being outside? Some of it's stuck and the stats show that it has. So you know, certainly cycling and walking are up on pre-pandemic. Yeah. Um, but of course the Stompcast, we want to make walking cool. That's the whole thing. I'm not going to make it cool. It's not very cool, but I'm hoping the community can, <laughs> can do that yeah. and make walking cool. Um, and make, you know, get other people to stick to it. That's the goal of this podcast is my simple target is to get people out walking for their mental and their physical health. That's the goal of the Stompcast. It, it's, um, it's all part of reminding people there's something else that they might want to try. Getting people to try different is the, uh, is the first big step. To, and and when, it, when doing it the other way, from fast food to getting in the car or whatever it might be, is the, the easiest option. And that's what we'll do, I'm afraid. So we, we have to make health easy. And the psychological reason for that is that human, human beings were designed to self-preserve, preservation, to survive. And, and fundamentally, it comes down to like, minimizing energy output, isn't it? So you're actually going against your, you know, all of our human development. It's like and a not a quite complete sentence, that, though, is it? Because that's all right, mm. but short term. Yes, yeah, yeah. Really yeah that, that's, what, that's what I mean. It's all yeah. about surviving in the next 24 hours. Yeah. It's not designed around surviving for ne- how longevity, perhaps, is the word. Yeah. That is so, right, yeah. so, so, you know, we, in some ways, you have to accept that some of your instincts won't be right and you do have to make a choice. It's, I guess the word discipline is something you're probably pretty used to in your training and so on, but we have to practice in our lives. You know, look outside, it's a bit cold, it's raining, drizzly. I'm going to be disciplined. I wanted to go for that run today or what it might be. You do actually have to go, I don't really feel like it, but I'm doing it anyway, don't you? I'm not convinced it's going to get you very far because I think we're up against human nature, as you've just very well uh, described, that we're going to do easy. You know, yeah. I'll, I'll say if you want to repack interesting yeah but I, if you if you want to depend on everybody here to be disciplined the whole, yeah. you know to tackle climate change you can forget it we're gone that's really interesting i'm not sure i i, I i'm, I'm not sure 100 agree i'm, no, I'm, I'm sure 100 like agree with you i do think that i know what you mean but i think fundamentally sometimes there is a point within yourself that you have to decide there are you know things are made as easy as possible for me but i still need to do something that's inherently difficult like going to the gym and running on the treadmill is hard 
it feels great when you're done, but it's still hard work. You're still doing something that's more difficult than sitting and watching the TV. So you do have to, at some point, apply that thing of like, right, I'm gonna go and do this. I've had a busy day, I have to push through it. So there's a bit of a balance there, reducing the barrier, I think, and this is obviously, you know, this is just from my perspective, you're the expert here, but removing you know, some of those barriers, but also going, yeah, you do actually have to push through sometimes. You must have had to apply discipline I a lot. I think there's a nudge there. Well, I look at, I don't see myself as typical, and to, you, know, you, you represent about a third of the population mm. that is, right, I'm gonna do this because I get something out of it, and mm. it's worth the inconvenience, discomfort to, to do it for the sense of satisfaction, mm. better health and I feel good about how I look mm. or whatever it might be. Um, I, I think that that's a chunk, but the majority, uh, are certainly those that are, are living in, in financial crisis now, which is a lot of people, it's just not on their agenda. Yeah. You know, it's just not, I, I just need to pay these bills. Right. So it's not even there. So where I think the middle ground is there is, you know, the nudge theory where somebody's really a little bit stressed about climate change, but I've got all these other stresses. So give me an option that I don't need to change much and I'll go with it because I agree with you, but I've got all this other stuff. So give me something that's close enough that I can get to it. You know, give me a mileage rate for walking to work rather than getting in a car or even on a bus. You know, that's the sort of thing where give me something that gets me to move from one place to another. It's like a tangible benefit. Yeah, and that speaks to my Needs, problems guess, yeah. and barriers. You mentioned barriers now. And, it, it, you know, there's, there's stuff we do with kids, beat the street. So a lot of schools signed up to it where you tap on a, a card reader mm. and it records your journey. Kids absolutely love it and it gets them to change and they, they lobby cool. their parents to go to walk to school rather than get in the car because they want to tap on this thing and they get a load of points for it. And it's, Dope, beautiful, um, just dopey, dopamine hits, right? Yeah, exactly. But good, good yeah. dopamine. So there's, it doesn't take a lot, you know, just a free thing, a reward. I mean, look, you, you, all the gadgets, your phone in your pocket, the, the watch on your wrist, you know, right. here it, it is, I'm off. gonna go, look you at that, your you thing, your bam, exercise goal, yeah. Yeah, your rings are closed, or your 10,000 steps are pinged off. Like you do, there is a hit from it, a sense of achievement. So I, I, I do get that. I think it's that, it's that thing of removing, yeah, removing the barriers and also incentivizing the Reward the, the one thing you wanna see more of. Yeah, ex exactly, that kind of, then it becomes like a learnt uh, behavior. 
the well, favourite race. Well, it's got to be the Tour de France, really, isn't it? Which, so. And which, because you, you've won stages and things, which, which year, what, what stage, what was it like? Take me to a moment of the Tour de France, especially for people that maybe haven't watched. I mean, I, I just recently watched the Tour de France documentary on Netflix, uh, and I've watched, you know, Tour de France in, in the past. Well, it's, it's, but just for people to have an understanding, how does the Tour de France work? So three what are the stages? Weeks. I mean, it's, uh, it absolutely must have been thought up in a pub. That's number one, because it's the <laughs> only way that the concept of, I know, let's ride around France. Yeah. And then somebody in the corner puts their hand up and says, make them go over the mountains. It does sound like a slightly yeah, drunken yeah, exactly. theory, I must be honest. So three weeks <laughs> Not long. to disrespect the Tour de France in any way. <laughs> a couple of hundred kilometres every day uh, over some of the highest mountains in Europe. Um, and you know it's the only it's the only sporting event in the world that I can think of you need to have a haircut in the middle you know it's that kind of perversely long nature and um, I remember I mean people say so I used to win the first stage that was my thing which was short time trial and then the added bonus of winning the first stage you get the leader's jersey at the same time so in yellow and it's pretty very damn nice. cool yeah but it's three weeks long so I remember 1996 and a stage to Pamplona in Spain. It's a Tour de France visits other countries as well. That's um, a bit always confused me as well. Then I was like, no, okay, Tour de France, visits. that's a bit else. Yeah, yeah. You've just guessed bits, you know. It's yeah. been to the UK yeah. a few times. Yes, so that's it. So, um, yeah, stage 16. So it's 21 stages. So getting close to being able to see Paris, mm. where it finishes. Uh, the longest stage of the race, 260 kilometres, I think. Mm -hmm. Seven mountain passes. And I was out of the back. After 15 kilometres, I've been dropped on a mountain. I right now, and by dropped, you means limit. you've dropped off the, the lead yeah, pack. Yeah, can't right? keep up with the, okay. the main pack. And you, you, there's a time limit every day. It's based on the winner's time, so you know 10%. So you've got like 40 minutes to get in, or you're out the race. And I got dropped on my own with 250 kilometres to go and six mountain passes. So I thought, that's it. I'm out, but I can't be. Um, so I get to the top of the mountain, start descending down the other side, catching up to the back of the group, get dropped again on the next climb, um, and just taking it hill by hill. Well, you're a downhill demon, is that what you're saying? Well, you've got to get good at it. Because um, people think of the cycling, they imagine you think of the Tour de France, you can picture in your head, you're riding up the hills. But what scares the hell out of me is when I see you guys flying down them. Because you're doing serious speed. Yeah, close roads really helps. and. Um, and it's just learned skill. And, and if you do come off on a bike, um, usually it's a bit of skin loss because it's very low mass uh, and relatively speaking, you know, maybe up to 80 k's an hour. So it's not that fast. Um, so <laughs> so serious, me, serious damage is okay. quite surprisingly yeah. unusual. Yeah, well, that sounds, this does sound quick. And when you're on that kind of, you know, I've, I've, as I said, got the road bikes, pretty small wheels. They're pretty yeah. narrow, right? How wide is a road tire actually? Oh, it's changed a lot, about, about 20 an inch what era are you from well how much 20 it's about uh, 23 millimeters jesus yeah that's yeah about an inch <laughs> yeah it's, yeah, it's, it's not, yeah yeah hang on yeah that is about an inch yeah. um yeah actually so basically a very narrow bit of rubber that you're flying down so you so you you, you so you've dropped you drop the pack you've, you've gone up the hill you've caught off the way down you climb the next ascent what happened then well eventually you get what uh, a group forms off the back they hang on as long as possible because of that time limit mm. and then somebody nearly an elder statesman will will shout Grupetto, uh, which is basically written to anybody who's, who just had enough, now's the time. And it forms a group, which is ironically called the laughing group, because uh, they don't do a lot of laughing. Yeah, and they, no one's bloody laughing in that group. And then they form a club to get to the finish inside the time limit, and they'll ride steady up the climbs, 
to try and look after everybody uh, as far as they can and then batter down the descents. Everybody shares the workload on the flat. When you say everybody, that also could lose not just within your team. Do you mean also like? Oh yeah, no, it's so, a mix. So you, so you kind of all working together with, yeah, a, main, yeah. with a goal of trying it's to a catch a temporary this. alliance to stay in the race. I heard it described in the Netflix doc as a game of chess, and I thought that was a really interesting way of describing it. Because the more I learn about it, more like it does sound a bit like that, right? Yeah, it's kind of uh, chess and wrestling, all kind of oh. <laughs> All mixed up together. There's a few elbows so included. It's in a it, weird it? thing. So you form the alliance and you try and catch. What happened then on that day? And then you just stick with it and just just keep going up every hill. Treat it. It's not it's not 200 kilometres to go. It's six kilometres to the top of this climb. Mm, right. And then we get a rest. And then it's 12 kilometres to the top of the. So next psychologically, climb. So you're focusing you, on the next. You just break it into manageable right. chunks. Right. Um, and then and then just you talk as well. You talk about everyday things, banking, no, tips, whatever it might be. Yeah, because you're talking on it. Yeah, yeah, because you, you, you've I'd got like, to. I'm just trying to stay alive right now. Because mm. even uphill, what, what, you, you know, obviously as steep as a sense, you, you slow down a bit, but you're, you're motoring along on the hills, aren't you? What kind of speeds are you doing up, going up these inclines? Well, it depends on how steep mm. it is, but, you know, 20 kilometres an hour, 30 kilometres an hour, not, not desperately fast. Um, and then, you know, to 100 on the way down. And it, it's... It's, you know, there's a different, people, some people are in that group because I've got a job to do tomorrow mm. uh, or there's a stage I'm going to try and win. So I'm well within myself. So there's lots of people who can talk and there's some people who are absolutely on the limit. Right. They're, they're less conversational. <laughs> and on this occasion, <laughs> so were you talking away about banking and kids? Bits in and out. I met a guy called Eros Poli, uh, who was a famous Italian um, uh, team rider. He wasn't one of the stars, but always one of the valued people in the team. And he just... Uh, he just made it sound like a great adventure and, and he normalized the situation. So he was, he was steering the, uh, the laughing group uh, on that occasion. And then eight and a half hours later, a white line, the finish line goes under the wheels and that was it. Probably about 8,000 calorie day. Oh, jeez. Yeah. So, so, and what reason it was that day particularly memorable to you? Why does that spring to mind? Well, I think it's because the hardest day on a bike I ever had and, uh, it's you kind of only you can only do that so many times because the reward's not worth it. So I'd never finished the Tour de France that and that you know I desperately wanted to be in that club. And you've done it. Um, so I did and you've that. You've done it. It's a tremendous. Have the same situation again. It's just not worth it. I'll go home and pick up at the next race. When you look at the Tour de France, what I think sometimes I still slightly find confusing is that at the start of the stages. You all start very, very slowly, and then you all kind of. Speed you've only got up. so much energy, so right. you've got to choose how you spend it. So, in very technical terms, you've got about two hours worth of glycogen, which is high-grade fuel for doing all the sprinting and attacking and all of that, and the rest is fat, which you've got like mm -hmm. days and days worth. Mm -hmm. But you, it, it's like diesel; you go pretty slow. The chugging away, not you're the trying sprinting. to use that one and save the other stuff, and you're eating all the time, constantly. Um, to try and keep carbohydrate up. So if you're so right, if you go for eight thing. hours, how, when are you weeing? When are you doing the wheeze? You can do it on the move. You just keep going? You can do it on the move, sort of yeah. turn sideways. Really, you just wheeze Shameless radio, I'd give, give you the technical, give you the technical thing. Or, or people stop, you know, if it's going really steady and there's, there's a breakaway's gone or there's nothing happening, nobody wants to attack, then there'll be a, generally the person who's wearing the yellow jersey, if they pull to the side, then there's unwritten rule that you don't attack at that point so everybody goes okay it's safe for me to stop so there is so, etiquette there in, in this behavior there is as well. there used to be a lot more but um, 
Yeah, there's seen, unwritten rules. I've seen some pretty nasty. I, I understand like the leader net, crashes, then you, yeah, you don't attack. Oh, okay, you know, fine. I mean, because the because I've in the Netflix doc, I know that they will dramatise more things for people to see. But gosh, some of the accidents, you know, when they're sprinting towards the finish and you've got the elbows out and stuff, it's. Mm. It's a serious sport, isn't it? Anyone thinks it's kind of leisurely ride, it's, especially no, those it's, attacks uh, at the end. It's serious stuff, isn't it? I don't think there's anything that's more demanding. I mean, you get your bang for your buck with, uh, with pro bike riders. Uh, and they also do, the other bit that people don't see is they might do 80-plus uh, race days a year. You know, if, you, yeah. if you do a marathon, you might do three. Yeah. You know. oh. uh, some of the guys will do over 100 race days in a year. And now the season's changed as well, so it's really long. So it used to, when my day used to finish in October, and that'll be it until late February. Mm. So that was your time. Now they race right through. A lot of the guys go and ride on the track in the winter, so it's quite intense. Is it healthy, um, pro, like distance pro racing now, when you think about Tour de France and things? I look I, at the I guys and when I got, look at them, I just question whether it's Well, you've got 6% healthy? body fat. You know, if you walked into the doctor's surgery and didn't know what you did for a living, you know, you'd be on the edge of being hospitalised because you power to weight ratio. Well, I don't think less than ten percent is quite, quite yeah. a concern, really. So, so you're talking about losing fat around your liver and your vital organs, less than ten percent. So. so I think um, fit and healthy are two terms that are often lumped together, and they're not the same thing. <laughs> you know, being that fit is not particularly healthy. It's um, really a, an interesting one because when you think, if you imagine right, fitness athletes, I think cyclists as well as marathon runners would come up very quickly and i'm not for a second trying to say they're unhealthy or whatever but perhaps mm. where there is an assumption that that that, that being extremely well, fit means extremely healthy yeah it's extremes and also perhaps i wonder if for like thinking about uh, like myself and i guess other listeners sometimes also it kind of creates a slightly unhelpful view of like well if i'm not that fit then i can't be super healthy but actually there's probably something in the middle that's a bit more well it's probably sensible. better for you yeah it's extremes like you know any anything and sports probably a, um, a concentration of it that extremes is not necessarily good but you, you, know, you also eat incredibly well and you know, you, there's a lot around it that is is good and mitigates um, but I don't think it's I don't think it's a, a healthy lifestyle for life and you've got to worry about uh, osteoporotic fractures and things don't you as well like bone density yeah so I had low bone density think, did, did, um, really yeah yeah and uh, it was it was picked up because I was just constantly low in in testosterone got picked up by routine blood tests and also one of the reasons I was getting dropped okay. <laughs> on mountains okay. which couldn't recover yeah um, so I, I just recovery hormones weren't there and then over a period of years yeah. it was starting to affect bone density so we I think, had treatment for that did you actually have you had yeah. the treatment for it yeah. well I couldn't have uh, hormone replacement therapy yes. because that's no. cheating yes. so that can't happen um, so I had um, uh, an infusion once mm. every couple of months yes um, for a because few we years. often think of osteoporosis osteoporosis essentially just means low bone density we often mm. associate associate that with the elderly and you hear people talking you know throughout your life do resistance exercises because it helps with bone density is an important thing we think about for postmenopausal women but mm. also generally for the elderly but of course in cycling you've got your not ha it's not impact sport you're hovering over the ground cycling and also because of the calories burned and and so on you end up with a very, or some people can end up with low bone density, can't they? Yeah. So you have to be then careful, I guess, when you get off the bike as to what you do, perhaps. Well, I went running. <laughs> Is that to keep, was that deliberately to try and keep the density? Well, I wanted to, I mean, well, I went on an intensive detraining period, which was very effective. <laughs> For a few years, I quite enjoyed not having to do anything. Uh, and then I really enjoyed getting fit again. Yeah. Uh, and running was my, 
go-to. Well, mentioning that crashes and how they're not normally bad, I had one in the, uh, in the Tour de France once and I broke my ankle in six places and arm and nose. So I got about 15 years of running in and I've just been told, that's it, you're done, mm. no more running, which, and I really miss it. It's so simple to take some shoes and you come somewhere like this, wherever you are in the world, come somewhere like this. And, and it's particularly, and especially out. on this stretch, it's quiet, we've gone from noisy to the yeah. opposite here. It's really lovely, I shouldn't jinx it, it's lovely and quiet. So I guess we'll bring ourselves to the end of part two. Um, thank you so much for sharing some of those stories. I think particularly talking about um, failure. It's a th theme that we talk about a lot of the Stompcast, which sounds a bit miserable, <laughs> but I always talk about failure in the positive sense. It's, it's, how, we, learning, it's it? how we learn, isn't it? How we how learn and, and grow. And uh, yeah, thank you for sharing some of the ins and outs as well of, uh, of the Tour de France. You've kind of shed some light on it, which is, which is, which is helpful. It's, it's a brilliant competition to watch. And I'd say to anyone, if you haven't watched it, when he's cycling, it's really exciting. When these guys are kind of hammering it down the hills or the, you know, at those finish lines, you know, it is, it is a thrilling uh, race. And I watch and think, I'm glad it was, it's not me there, because as I say, the elbows are off and out. Anyway, I hope you've enjoyed uh, part two of the Stompcast. Uh, part three, uh, we'll be kind of exploring a bit more of the life uh, lessons as always. And also, ask the question, what's it like to win an Olympic uh, medal? Right, we'll come to that in part three. See you all very soon. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.